It's party time. Welcome to another episode of the Chad Prather Show. Um, it is Thursday. We're going to get off the rails. Well, we're not really going to get too far off the rails. I'm going to stay reasonably scripted with you today because I've got something I want to get off your chest. Uh, I thought about even getting all dressed up for you, but then I thought, who am I kidding? This is the Chad Prather Show. Let me just talk to the people. Uh, at the helm, driving us into the nether regions, as always, uh, my favorite person, Kayla. Kayla, I can see you. I love that I have just like a direct line of sight right over there to you guys. And uh, Super Chris Cruz and Let's Love Brandon. This has been a hard week, guys. Thank you for bearing with me on a lot of this stuff that we've been dealing with. Uh, I wanted specifically to take this episode and I want to try to enlighten you a little bit. Now, that's kind of hard to do because I've got so many thoughts dancing around inside of my head. But I think that you would agree with me if I told you that we're living in dangerous times. Now, there's a lot of things out there that you can't control. There's things that there's nothing you can do about them. I mean, if they decide to launch a nuclear war tomorrow, you can't do anything about that. You can't stop it. There's nobody calling you on the phone to ask your permission before two superpowers go to war with one another. And there's mutually assured destruction. We're already starting this show out on a, on, on a fine, positive note, very optimistic. But what can you handle? What can you take care of? What decisions can you make in your life that will make a difference in the world in which you live? Because we, we, we're living in tragic times. So I want to start this way. And I want to get your brain engaged with me because I want you to answer something for me. And then we're going to go and we're going to we're going to get some questions later on from uh, we're going to get some answers later on from some social media followers as well. But I want to start with two questions. First question is this. When did we as a nation give up on maintaining our American values? Now, a lot of people are going to say, what are American values? Now, that, that can be a very open in, to interpretation. But I think by and large, the people that are watching this show, the people that are consistent in listening to this program or your subscriber to Blaze TV, I think you know what your values are. We tend to have, you know, we have a pretty solid subset of what those values are. When did that happen? Now, I, I know that sounds like a generic question, but it's really not. And I want to ask you the natural follow up. Why did we give up on those values? Again, it sounds like an easy one to answer, but I want to spend a little bit of time unpacking it because I don't think it's as simple as we might hope either to answer or to solve. Now, recently, the Wall Street Journal did a survey of over a thousand people asking them about the importance in their lives of traditional American values, things like patriotism and faith, having children community involvement, the sorts of things that you and I, at least ostensibly, hold near and dear to our hearts. And the results, well, they might not be shocking, but damn, they really should be shocking. It turns out, as you might expect, the importance of these values in the American life has been on a sharp decline over the past few decades. And there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of uptick on display that would give somebody hope that this is just temporary. That's scary. Now, there's more on that part later, but First, when did this happen and why did it happen? Now, when is kind of hard to nail down for several reasons. For one thing, we have a tendency as human beings to idolize and romanticize these bygone deca decades, you know, often thinking them as a cornucopia of the things we have lost. And there's both truth and lies to this mode of thinking. So if I were to ask you, uh, 
What decade of the past century or so would you think that American values were held at their highest level? What decade would you pick? Now, this is one of the reasons. The reason this is a hard thing to answer is because if you go back to the phrase that a former president used in his campaign and ultimately through his presidency when he said, make America great again, there was a lot of problems there because people said, well, when was America ever great? Were we ever truly great? You know, what, what's he referring to? Is he talking about Jim Crow America? Is he talking about taking us back to when there was slavery and there was so much discrimination and, and racism was a prevalent thought of the day in certain parts of the nation? What, what were we talking about? It's a very polarizing question to ask. Now, if I ask you to pick a decade, the standard issue answer is usually going to be the 50s, the 1950s, right in the middle of the 20th century. We imagine the American moral and social landscape as a flat, largely idyllic plain, punctuated with a kind of leave it to beaver mindset, wherein men were men, women were women, kids were respectful to both, and your doctor was apt to recommend one brand of cigarettes over all the others because they were the healthiest ones for you. So it's kind of a fun world to inhabit. I mean, you remember Back to the Future, right? That's when we went back to 1955. That was the America everybody thought of. Route 66, middle America, here we go. The Christmas music of that era alone is frozen into an eternal state of hopeful perfection that will live on long past the age when you and I have turned to dust. And when you juxtapose that decade with the one that followed it, well, you seem to get a pretty clear idea that this was the last time we were all traditional Americans leading our traditional lives and carrying ourselves as God-fearing, respectable men and women with a singular focus toward maintaining a, a homogeneity of purpose and fealty to country forever and ever. Amen. But is that real? No, of course it's not real, or at least it's not as simple as that. You see, real life, even American life, I mean, even the Americana that we think back, it's messy, even in the 50s. And the inverse is true. As conservatives, we often look at the decade of the 60s, and we begin to see the writing on the wall with things like the sexual revolution and burn your bras and the rise of the counterculture in America. And all those things happened. But they did not define the era entirely. The truth, at least my understanding of it, and my study of it anyway, is that every decade has its adherence to American values and its detractors. Now the lines are blurred. And while long-term trends are possible in some vague way to follow, you're well advised not to lay money on them. In short, you can trace the erosion of American values all the way back to the erosion of a much older set of values, namely one that began in a certain idyllic garden eons ago with a couple of naked people running around in it, which brings us to the why portion. Why have American values eroded to the point that they have? Why are they decreasing in importance to us at a rate which is both staggering and alarming? Well, quite honestly, that answer also probably is, is not going to surprise you because you've heard me say it before. It's nihilism, folks nihilism. We think of the left, the progressive left in America right now, as that which fights to destroy American values. And it's true. But that entity we describe as the left, well, it's just an analog for a deep and troubling aspect of the human heart. If you boil radical leftism down here or anywhere else in the world, you're going to get nihilism at the base. The thing which seeks never-ending power, the thing which promises utopia just over that next hill, 
it's a unicorn. It's, it's all based in a resistance to the notion that there is something deep and innate within us that cries out to serve our God and our fellow man. It fights the idea that the wellspring of purpose endowed to us by our creator seeks to flood its banks and rush into every channel of human commerce and communication, filling them to the, to the good of all with the thing that is nihilism's opposite and mortal enemy. And that is love. That's right. I'm talking about love, folks, the purest, rarest of minerals in the chemistry of the human heart. We cannot hope to retain American values or human values, for that matter, so long as the plague of nihilism continues to wash up on our shores at the forefront of every incoming tide. It erodes all that we hold dear. And so we have to erode back. And that brings me back to the question. Is there anything we can do about it? Because sometimes, folks, it seems so absolute hopeless. You remember Lord of the Rings and to quote Samwise Gamgee, how could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad happened? What in the end are we trying to hold on to here? The answer is, you know, his answer is my answer, that there's still good in this country and it's worth fighting for. You're fighting for it. Every day that you pick up your burden and you walk a little bit further down the road, you're fighting for it every moment you spend raising your children to be a part of the next generation of Americans and teaching them to be proud of it and responsible for it. Folks, let's not take this dire issue of fading American values lying down. I, I, let's not, I don't want to fiddle while Rome burns. And if the structure is beginning to tip towards ruin, let's, let's you and me be the people willing to jump forward and put our shoulder beneath it. Now, I haven't got time to lament the slow death of American values because I'm real damn busy trying to restore them. So I want to talk to you about that in today's episode. Because, you know, mainstream culture has, has propped us up in a certain way that, um, that I don't think we've embraced reality very well. And so what I want to do is I want to talk to you a little bit today about the way in which... Everything that you believe, everything that you see in the world around you, what if it's all a lie? What if nothing that you see is reality? Everything is a cover-up. Everything's been swept under the rug. Uh, and I want to talk to you about the way your brain processes that. Now, we're living in a world, and we're going to get into this more in, 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 the, in the moments ahead. But I, this is what's your little picture of your brain, right? Now, we know as we've discussed a lot of times on the show, that your brain has what's known as a prefrontal cortex, this little part right up here. Now, that part of your brain, it's real sketchy early in your life. It's real sketchy. In fact, it's not even de developed until you're about 25 years of age. And, and the thing about this right here is, this is where you make decisions. This is where you process the world around you, and this is how you determine reality, okay? And you behave and make your choices according to what your brain is seeing. Now, I did a little crude example here. You, you can have a, an iPhone, you can have a computer monitor, and you can have a television set over here. I don't know how to draw an 85-inch skinny television, but this thing is throwing information at your brain. So is every device that's out there. Add to that the music of the world. Add to that the newspaper, the media of the world. I'm going to draw a little newspaper here. Whether it's coming to you from a digital format, a written format, add to that the literature. Here's a stack of books that you're reading. 
Everything is coming at you. It's throwing information at you. In fact, you're not capable of living in a world anymore where you are not being bombarded day in and day out with a voice. Now, King Solomon of Israel wrote a proverb. He said, uh, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. If you break that down in the Hebrew language, it's very poetic. He says, what a man gives access to into his soul is what he becomes. As a man thinks in his heart, that word there, think, in the Hebrew, it's, it's the phrase to be uh, an armed gatekeeper. Whatever you give access to, whatever that gatekeeper opens up the gate to, is what you're going to become. And so the things that your eyes see, and not only see, the things that your eyes perceive as reality, when you give the gate to your brain, into your emotions, into your mind and your will and your emotions, when you allow that access, that is quite literally what you're going to become. Now, regardless of whether you believe that proverb to be divinely inspired or not, I think there's some wisdom to be found in that. So uh, <laughs> trust me when I tell you, we are becoming what the world is creating us to be. And we're, we're becoming little automatons. We are, we are becoming robots. There's a huge debate going on in the world right now about artificial intelligence. Do we need it? Do we want it? Is it safe for us? What happens when the computers take over? Everybody's seen the Terminator, Terminator series when Skynet just finally becomes self-aware. We've seen the destruction in the movies, the apocalyptic narratives of all these things of when the computers take over. You've seen War of the Worlds. You've listened to it. You, 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 know, the, you know what Armageddon looks like, at least as it's interpreted by Hollywood. But I want to suggest to you that we're living in another realm of artificial intelligence because the fact that every single one of us you can't avoid this every single one of us now don't just blame the kids don't just blame the next generation every single one of us spends at least 55 percent of our waking hours staring at a screen you're staring at a screen right now if you're watching this I'm staring at a screen not right now, watching myself communicate something so that you can watch it. 55% of our waking hours. Now, I want you to think about that. Let's say that you live to be 75, 85 years old. You're going to spend a third of that asleep. And then the time that you're awake, that other 66% of your life, you're going to spend another 33% of your entire lifetime watching something on a screen. Now, what that's done is it's, it's dumbed us down. We, we, we started off asking, where did our values go and why? Well, to be real frank with you, we've, we've gotten stupid. When you think about the fact that America was founded by young men, young men, and when I say young men, I, I mean 17-year-olds, 19-year-olds, 21, 22-year-olds. George Washington was an old man at 44 as president of the United States. When you think about the fact that these were complex, critical thinkers who understood the writings of human freedom of people like John Locke, life, liberty and property, and how those were the three values upon which foundations of freedom were going to be built in a republic. These guys were able to process and interpret that. And then you look at the world around us today, a TikTok generation who can't even think critically. We're being fed pablum. And you ask somebody, hey, you need to head north on the interstate. And somebody says, I don't know what direction north is. 
we don't have to know anymore. We've been spoon fed by our devices to tell us you don't have to even learn the neighborhood you live in. You don't have to learn directions anywhere you go. You know why you don't have to? Because you got a you got a built in digital nanny. You got a device, you got a GPS system that will tell you when to turn left. And you know what? If you accidentally turn right, you know what that, that digital nanny will do? It'll tell you to take a couple of more lefts until you go all the way around the block and get you back where you started from. You can't even get lost anymore. You don't know what to think. If you hear a word that, uh, that you don't know what the meaning of it is, or you don't know how to spell it, you just type that word out and your phone will actually tell you. If it's misspelled, you don't have to dig into the dictionary. You don't have to look it up anymore. You don't have to turn pages. Most people don't even know what paper feels like anymore. That's scary. <laughs> you don't have to look a word up. You don't have to define it anymore. In fact, the words are being defined for you. So you want to know where our values went? Well, it went the same place our brain did. It went into the dumpster. Because now we've become a living example of that which we claim to fear and are threatened by. We have become artificial intelligence. We're going to take a quick break. Don't go anywhere. Hang tight. I'm going to break this thing down for you. And we're going to fight this battle together. Be right back. Now imagine... Imagine all of this stuff's being thrown at you. Social media, name them off. You got Facebook, TikTok, Instagram. Uh, I, the list goes on and on from YouTube. Everything's done with a video. You, you don't even have to. I mean, technically, guys, you know, you don't even have to go to a, um, a trade school anymore. You just follow YouTube. <laughs> you get on YouTube. It'll tell you how to change the batteries, change the tires, change everything you need to do. You know, change the spark plugs. It'll teach you all that stuff. It's all being handled right there at your fingertips. But now imagine you're, imagine you're 13, 14, 15, 16-year-old kid, 20-year-old kid, and you're trying to figure out, why am I here? Where did I come from? Why do I exist? Where am I going in life? This prefrontal cortex is still being developed right here, and you are being bombarded, bombarded. Everything from the television to the books to the magazines to the computers, the devices, the music that's going into your earbuds to everything that's happening in your life. And you're just assuming that it's true. You're hoping that it's true. Now, is it? I think you and I can pretty much uh, safely assume that the stuff that's being uh, piped into through that through that gate access to our soul is not. On July 25th, 1972, the American people found out how government funded doctors were injected, injecting hundreds of black men with syphilis without their knowledge and using them as human guinea pigs in order to study the effects of that disease. Since the experiments continued for decades and a variety of actors played a key role in the exploitation of approximately 600 black men, seven men involved had died of syphilis and more than 150 of heart failures in participants were linked to the experiment, according to Time Magazine. This cover-up is an example of how authorities have used the bodies of black people in the country without their consent too long and in order to further their own vicious agendas. We know that. We know that that happened and they covered it up. 1969, the Miley Massacre 
and cover up. The New York Times reporter Seymour Hersh set the world on fire in the 70s when he exposed the true events of the Malay massacre. In March 1968, U.S. Army soldiers from Company C massacred more than 400 unarmed Vietnamese civilians, including women and children. Initial reports on the incident mentioned nothing about the men and women and children that the soldiers had brutally murdered. Famous magazines praised the infantry for killing 129 communists in a day-long battle and congratulated them on their, quote, victory. Several months after the massacre, individuals involved in the incident implored the military and others in power to investigate the incident, and many of these requests were ignored, and officials in the military and the government went out of their way to make sure further inquiries were never made into the incident. Hirsch led an independent investigation into the Miley story, Miley story and broke it on the Associated Press Wire Service in November 1969. 2004, Rathergate. You guys remember Dan Rather? Remember that guy? That old crusty old curmudgeon, he's still on Twitter bitching about things. Listen, call it Rathergate. You've heard of Watergate. Yet did you know that the news industry has also had its fair share of gate scandals as well? The Killian documents. That was a controversy. It was also referred to as Rathergate. Presented, presented by uh, Dan Rather. Of course, he was a CBS news anchor on his flagship show, 60 Minutes. The uh, documents were critical of former George W. Bush, uh, former President George W. Bush's service in the Texas Air National Guard. These were aired less than two months before the 2004 presidential election. It was found later that CBS had failed to authenticate them, and these documents were forged as a ploy to pursue a controversial military service story that criticized Bush's service. Now, as many news outlets followed up, CBS stuck to its story and claimed the documents were real. Eventually, the fire couldn't be contained, and CBS was forced to admit its mistake and ended up firing most of the staff that worked on the show. What about 2019, NBC's Harvey Weinstein cover-up? That's a recent, exa recent example of media cover-up that relates to the, to the Me Too movement. Many reporters and, and reports from NBC have, the reporters, they actually came forward to talk about how NBC News worked to cover up sexual assault allegations against Weinstein. And a variety of people at the outlet worked to shut down NBC reporters' coverage of the Weinstein story and adamantly lied about doing so. Quote, they personally intervened to shut down our investigation in Weinstein and behave, uh, of Weinstein and behave more like members of Weinstein's PR team than the journalists they claimed to be. That was Rich McHugh of Vanity Fair. So time after time, NBC worked to not only stop the coverage of the Weinstein story, but also cover up that it was trying to bury the story. While former journalists, they're still speculating why, why does that NBC continue to cut coverage on the story? A lot of it comes down to the behind the scenes interaction of NBC's executives and Weinstein. You see, here's the thing. Whenever, whenever the um, Paul Pelosi story came out, Chris, Paul Pelosi, you know, that story comes out and we didn't know. We were trying to find out. There was another guy with NBC, and they, he was trying to expose the story and talk about it. And they, they were like, no, we got to pull this story and, and put it this and reprimand this reporter. Because they didn't believe in the, they didn't want the uh, narrative that was being put out there, which, by the way, was true, to be pushed to the general public. So now imagine being a young person. Imagine being an old person. And you're trying to process all of this stuff when you know there's a history of lies. Now, much of the time, news outlets, they don't want to hold people in power accountable because that would require them to clean their own house and face the consequences of the truth. See, the press, they're supposed to operate as a watchdog to power. The press is a watchdog. You know, that's an ideal. See, when I went to the University of Georgia in 1991, I went to the University of Georgia with the goal of going to their broadcast journalism school. 
I didn't have to be there long or a part of that program to realize that that was not for me. <laughs> there, there were a lot of lies. There was a lot of misinformation. The programming started very early. And I realized that the media and, quote, journalism, which I don't even know how you define what journalism is anymore, is not that heroic institution that is uh, independent from private and, you know, and, and political, roll that thing up, Chris, private and political interests that informs the public about important issues and holds power to account. In fact, 73% of people say that they believe journalists should serve as watchdogs, but only three in 10 believe they get it about right. Now, CNN recently reported that President Donald Trump is disseminating false and misleading statements at a pace that leaves even his own past prevarications in the dust. The network uh, you know, Trump supporters love to hate. They cited um, 1,104 lies or partial lies the president reportedly said in, in October, boosting his alleged grand total from inauguration to present day to 6,420. That was while he was president. I mean, they literally are counting the lies. Now, I got a question. Where's the same media bias against Joe Biden? Where, where is the media bias against Joe Biden? He is a known plagiarist. He's a known liar. Now, if you don't believe me, Chris, play that clip from uh, his sit down with Jon Stewart. As I've got myself in trouble and uh, <laughs> hell, I might be president now if it weren't for the fact I said my uh, I had an uncle who was a coal miner. Turned out I didn't have anybody in the coal mines. You know what I mean? Really? I tried that crap, you know, about, you know, <laughs> it didn't work. You know what I mean? <laughs> But I actually thought it. You believed it. I actually believed it. You know, I'm from Scranton, Pennsylvania. I figured there had to be a coal miner somewhere in the family. <laughs> Nothing, huh? Nothing. With coal, it was an engineer. I mean, the guy, you know, we were Irish, you know, and the Irish, I thought the Welsh and the English owned the deal. And I, we must have been stabbed in the dark. You thought it was coming in the up. dark and I found out he graduated from Lehigh. I mean, what can I say? <laughs> Not as humble as we thought. No, Damn. No, I tell you. Now. Joe makes a great comedian. That was, you know, almost 20 years ago that Joe had that sit down with, with John Stewart on The Daily Show. Um, he is a senator at that point. 20 years later, he'll be president of the United States. Wow. It's a big joke that he made up lies in order to get elected. He got called out on it, but again, everybody's laughing at that. They're laughing. He says, if I hadn't made that story up, I might be president now. Because that's the way we know that politicians are going to do things. They're going to spend things for their own gain, and the media is going to cover for them. Now, meanwhile, your brain is trying to process what is the truth. Because, listen, news is nonstop. It's mobile. It's digital. It's cable. It's, it's practically universal as far as access goes. So the editors and the anchors... They, they no longer just cite fact as news. They use their pundits to tell you how to feel about the news. So it's never been more easy to deceive a society. I said this last week on Overtime sitting down with Stu. I said, you know, I, I said 30 years ago, I said, there's no way 24-7 news channels are going to be able to last the way they are just telling the news because they're going to run out of news and they're going to have to start telling you how they feel about the news. And so journalistic objectivity is going to die. So if I read a, an article or I listen to a news story at the end of it, if I know how the author of the story feels on the topic, then it wasn't journalism anymore. 
It was an opinion piece. As I said, 50% of our waking hours are spent in front of a screen. Social media has literally made us dumber. You, you, don't, you don't have to look up anything to find the meanings. You don't have to learn the directions. As I've already said, you have that built-in digital nanny that's walking you through life. So what happens is we've entertained ourselves to death, and they know that. The world's moving at a faster pace these days. And, and whether the world's moving any faster or not, you know about it faster and you know more of what's happening. And so that second law of thermodynamics is happening. That law of entropy is happening so that things in motion are tending to fall apart. We literally and simply can't keep up with all the tragedy that's thrown our way. You see the violence. My God, you're entertained by the violence. You look at your reels on social media. You see the accidents. You're entertained by people hurting themselves. The government and the media, they can lie to you, and we literally choose to distract ourselves from the lie. You see, folks, everybody lies. Scientists believe that, that a lie is made up of two parts. A person has to create the lie, and they also have to withhold the truth. And you got, you got these brain areas that all play a part and they play a role in that deception. The most consistent finding across multiple MRI studies is that activity in the prefrontal cortex increases when people lie. People sort of get off on it. The prefrontal cortex situated just behind the forehead, right here, this part we're talking about, is a collection of regions responsible for executive control. That's the ability to regulate thoughts or actions to achieve goals. Execu executive control includes cognitive processes such as planning, problem solving, and attention, all important components of deception. So it's no surprise that the prefrontal cortex is active when we lie, and not only that, when you're lied to. So dishonesty requires the brain to work harder than honesty. And this effort is reflected by increased brain activity. So we're literally, guys, listen, we're literally being stimulated by lies. We're not stimulated by anything else in the world anymore. We don't go outside. We don't hike. We don't skydive. We don't go fishing. We don't go hunting. We don't do any of that shit. So you know what we do? We engage in lies. That's why Rudyard Kipling, in his great poem, If, he said, if you can be lied about and not deal in lies, it's a powerful way to live, folks, but it's impossible because studies even show us that people take longer to respond when they're lying. So the, the fact that I ask people to make a list, and we're going to get into this in the next segment, I ask people to make a list on social media. I said, tell me the biggest media lies, biggest media cover-ups in recent history. And there are people who go, oh, I don't even know where to start that list. Yes. How many times did you get that response, Chris? From everybody, and I've talked to 25 people. Yeah, people go, oh, where do I even start? And I was like, well, just start. Yes! Like, give me one. Yes. I mean, it's like, I'm not trying to trick you here. No. I'm just saying, give me a list of things that are media lies. I've asked people, you did the man on the street, we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, I, I put it on social media, I said, give me the biggest media cover-ups that you know are lies, that have been proven lies in recent history. Well... Where do I? It's just too many to mention. Well, let's give me one. They can't do it. You know why? Because not only were they lied to, but they don't want to admit that the deception worked. It was not impactful enough for them to look at it and go, you know what? This mattered and I need to investigate this. So when you look at things like the Las Vegas shooting, we don't know a damn thing about the Las Vegas shooting. Nobody's been held accountable for Epstein's client list. 
We don't know what's happening with, uh, I mean, what happened with Jeffrey Epstein? Did he kill himself? I mean, we don't, there was awfully a lot of coincidences going on right there. So, you know, I, I'm just telling you guys, the fact that we're not willing to get into the complexity of thought. And Chris, I'm running a little bit behind on this one segment, so we're going to come back to it. But the, the fact that we're not willing to get into any complexity of thought to say, you know what, I want to bring this to a resolution. I'm willing to let the media and, and the powers that be sweep it under the rug and create a cover up. It's become a culture of cover up. It's a culture of cover up. So here's where we're living, folks. Not only are you being deceived, but they know you can be deceived and they're actively engaging in deceiving you and you're literally getting off on it. Hang tight, we'll be right back. The largest lies I think that's been presented by the media goes back at least five decades. I think it's starting with vaccines. I think that moving forward, it's about what the presidents actually represented and what they actually served. The biggest media lie is definitely that Donald Trump didn't win in 2020. Biggest media lie is way too many to count, whether it's about the economy, whether it's about our foreign policy. The biggest media lie from my perspective is the January 6th riots. Oh gosh, biggest media lie is that the news tell the truth. The biggest media lie is that Trump's not president. Biggest media lie is that Trump's not popular. Biggest media lie is that Donald Trump did not win the 2020 election. They all lie. Biden won the last election. That's the biggest media lie. They're trying to say that Biden won the election and he didn't. And it was disgusting the way it turned out. COVID is the biggest lie. Well, I agree with her. I think COVID was a, was a huge, one of the most devastating lies that's ever been preyed upon uh, the American public. All right. So, um, you know, thanks for gathering that stuff, guys. That was there at the Waco Trump rally. And, and I know what people are going to say. They can say, oh, those people, you know, they're a bunch of Trump supporters. They don't, you know, they don't have an education. Those folks will surprise you. Yeah. Those folks will surprise you, I promise you. They're pretty tuned in. But uh, the other day on um, social media, on Twitter specifically, I said, what are some of the biggest events the media and society have swept under the rug in recent history? Um, there was obviously Biden's laptop. There was Epstein. Uh, there was the Christmas parade rundown. Um, uh, there was, of course, 2020, the election. There was COVID. People mentioned treason, but there, the thing that concerns me, and again, Las Vegas and East Palestine, Ohio, uh, well, I mean, you know, people quit talking about it, right? Because again, you've been told it's okay to quit talking about it. But again, too many to list, Chad. There are way too many to list. Um, you know, way too many to list. However, if I had to pick just one, I'd say the laptop. Um, and then it went into some detail there. And so uh, journalism and the legacy of corporate media is dead and gone. Um, yeah, it goes in all this stuff. And so but there's a lot of stuff that people have questions about. And so they say, well, these these are you know, these people are just, you know, they're, they're conspiracy theorists or whatever. And, and listen, 
There's a couple of ways that, you know, in the media, there's a couple of ways that you receive information, right? There's, the, there's a hypodermic theory of germ, journalism, hypodermic. And that's just the information is shot to you, right? Just like you receive it from a needle. And then you have, um, then you have uh, the minimal effects theory. I feel like Glenn Beck right now. I know. Well, I sort of kind of he's way better at this than I am. But uh, minimal effects that, that argues that the media have little effect on citizens and voters, that they don't really have anything. You know, they just the newspaper effects. So in other words, you hear what the newspaper has to say. That's the hypodermic. But then as you discuss it, it just kind of plays itself off. And you're like, ah, those guys, they don't really know what they're talking about anyway. And so it becomes a minimal effect. Um, and uh, but then you have a cultivation theory. And I'm going to spell it out because I don't want to put cult theory, <laughs> although I probably should. Cultivation theory is, uh, is a hypothesis that media develops a person's view of the world by presenting a perceived reality. That's back with what I was saying. Um, what we see on a regular basis is our reality. Media can then set norms for readers and viewers by choosing what is covered or discussed. That's why a lot of these local news affiliates, if you'll watch, you know, 50 of them from across the nation, they're all reading the same script from the same teleprompter. You've probably seen the video where the stuff like that happens. So in the end, the consensus, uh, you know, is that media has some effect, even if the effect is subtle. So what has to happen is the media has to raise the bar. They have to sensationalize everything. What is it? If it if it bleeds, it leads. Because here's the deal with the 24-7 news cycle. If it's not making money for the network, we're not going to talk about it. We're not going to talk about it. Because, again, you guys don't want to hear me talking about hypodermic theory and minimum effects theory and cultivation theory. You want to see somebody bust their head jumping off of a high dive on social media. That's fun. So what the media has to do is they have to frame the story. They have to frame the story. So they won't get into it. You can get into episodic framing when a story focuses on the isolated details or specific rather than broadly looking at the whole issue. See, these days we've gotten away from episodic. I'm going to write that down because some of you might take notes. Episodic framing. That's when I'm just going to tell you the facts. I'm going to tell you what happened. And then you can determine what it is that you need to take away from that. Or we can do thematic framing. And what happens there is you take a broad look at an issue and you skip the details, or at least a number of them, and you look at how the issues changed over a period of time and what's led to it. For example, you deal with... Uh, uh, the way you see race or socioeconomics or other generalizations. Um, this is when the media is actually predisposing the viewer or the reader to a particular perspective on a subject or issue. So if a newspaper article focuses on unemployment, struggling industries and jobs moving overseas, and the, well, then the reader is going to have a negative thought of the economy. So, again, Don, let's say Donald Trump is in office and you and I look at it and say, wow, 
gas is low priced, things are going great, I can afford a home, um, I'm making more money, I can trust in the stock market, and then they, the media wants to tell you, no, no, things are worse than ever, we're sitting on a bubble that's about to pop. And then Joe Biden gets into office and <laughs> the economy goes to garbage, inflation's at an all-time high, and people are struggling to make ends meet, and they say, see, we told you that Donald Trump was the problem. See, this is the reason how they can manipulate you and why huge swaths of the American population believe this crap. Because they built a theme. They built a theme that said Donald Trump is bad. Orange man, bad. And if you believe in him, then you're one of those toothless rednecks out there that doesn't know what's really going on in the world. You're not educated. You didn't go to some Ivy League school. And they've told you not to believe your eyes, your wallet, your pocketbook, or your reality. You want to know why they don't use words like illegal aliens that are coming across the southern border into the United States of America? They can't use terms like that. No, they've got to use undocumented residents. They could change that language. They change the theme and they change how you feel about what your brain is perceiving. And then when, let's say, um, uh, you know, one of those illegals or one of those undocumented migrants, they commit a crime or something like that, or, or you know, 900 pounds of fentanyl is threatened to be brought across the border. All of that gets swept under the rug. We don't have to deal with that because, again, we don't want to ever criticize the brown people because the theme has been that if you do that, you're a bad person and you're judging reality wrong. That's a problem, folks. That's a problem. What do we do about it? I'm going to tell you when we come back. We'll be right back. Yeah, that's one of the things that I love about being a part of, of Blaze TV. I um, have never been told by any executive or any other host or anybody of influence here at Blaze They've never told me what to say or what not to say. I've never, never been called on the carpet. They've never, they've never tried to fact check me or say maybe I need to walk something back. Because again, we understand that what we're doing here is a dissemination of independent information the way we perceive it. And we know that's an opinion. And uh, we try to tell you not only what happened, but we want to tell you what we think about it. How, how do we perceive these things? How have we processed this information? Now, to me, I think that matters because now you have a choice. You have a choice to listen to our analysis of it or to ignore it. And that's the world we live in. Because just as quickly as you can turn these devices on that bombard your brain, you can turn them off. And we know that. We know that ultimately you have a choice in what you receive in your brain. Now, I don't think that too many of you are going to go out and live a hermit's life in the woods. But I do think you need to limit where and from what direction the information is beaming into your brain through your eyeballs and through your ear holes. You need to be careful with that. So find as much as you can a place that will disseminate information to you that is simply hypodermic. That is, they're shooting the facts to you. There's a number of outlets that are out there that I think do a good job. I think townhall.com, for instance, does a good job. I think a lot of times even Twitter can be faithful to the task, although you have to be careful there. There's places where you get straight information. Then I want you to be careful when, when you minimize these effects. I want you to be careful 
who and how you discuss it with. Don't start with the conclusion. I've told you many, many times on this program. Start from the, from the critical thinking perspective of how is this wrong and how am I taking it wrong? Because if you can determine the places where you're wrong first, well, that's the first step of, of, of breaking down complex issues and, and understanding reality based off of what your brain is processing and not on what you're being told to interpret by those outside. And then when you get in to the framing, learn to understand the language they're using to create the themes that will make you think a certain way. Because I promise you, you are, you are absolutely being drilled daily with themes. The fact that they are consistently trying to change the language that we use to interpret the world around us, whether it is words like assimilation, whether it is a pronoun or uh, how you address somebody. We saw this week how certain news anchors literally fought and fumbled all over their own consciences trying to figure out how to define a biological female who identifies as a he, him, and went into a school and shot it up. There was more focus on genders and pronouns than there were on loss of lives. And they were tripping over themselves. Major media outlets, whether it was New York Times, USA Today, others, who were tripping over themselves, trying to make sure that they got the pronouns correctly, even going so far as in the case of the New York Times to apologize, apologizing for misgendering someone that murdered six innocent people. So now I've asked people, you know, I asked people to take a look at the things that are there. And, and, and originally when I was thinking about doing this program, I wanted to make a list of all the things that, that we've covered up. Um, but I'll tell you, the biggest thing that I took away from that, Chris and Brandon and Kayla, was that so many people couldn't make a list. No. If pressed, I'm sure they could come up with one or two things. But it told me that their brain has been so, it has been so inundated with, with just minutia that they, they've forgotten. They have forgotten a large portion of, of what to them they say is important. So if I say to you, okay, what would you like to have solved about the Las Vegas shooting? Um, what information have you not received? That's the kind of stuff right there that uh, we need to be processing. If we don't let it go, they can't let it go. If we keep asking the questions, then we're begging for the answers and ultimately they have to give them to us. But again, we've allowed the media, we've allowed the, the, the governments that rule over us to bury these things without accountability. So what's your alternative? Well, your alternative and the alternative for our kids is education. And uh, I think that as early as, you know, 13 years old, I think that certainly in college, students should learn how to use their smartphones for information rather than for entertainment. Um, they're great tools. I mean, we have a supercomputer in our hands at all times right here. I mean, this is, this is some major technology right here. It connects us with the world and it connects us with information. But we need to be able to use this to empower ourselves in the process of using them. We need to help young people, students, build a new relationship with truth so that they can live with less uh, intellectual debt and more enlightenment and be thinkers themselves that contribute to society. We need to know that, uh, you know, that lies actually travel farther and f faster than the truth. 
on things like Twitter and, and that a daily diet of falsehood will affect their perception and it'll erode your critical thinking and potentially jeopardizing their futures, their families and their careers. And I believe that those of you who want to educate the next generation, you need to startle students with facts. Get them involved with places like the American Journey here at Mercury One because these are the things that are going to change the world. And it's going to get us back to our values, folks, because there's a power out there. One big global conscience that wants to destroy what we consider to be great American values. It's happening in our world. And this has got to stop right now. It's your brain. It's your life. It's your future. And we got to take it back. Hang tight. We'll be right back. Stop the cover up and rewatch this episode and get it all. We love you. God bless you. See you next time. Bye.